up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime. Really, the best way to describe this person is my everything. It's at Eric Dalala. I'm hurting today, Phil. I'm hurting. Uh, physically, because I just want to make sure you're not injured. Just emotionally, luckily. Got it. Good, good. Uh, this Broncos team, Eric, it seems like uh, if the if a player were to sneeze, they'd be out for two to three weeks. It's not good right now, is it? Really not good. Uh, we'll uh, have a complete breakdown of the Broncos injuries coming up on this show. We'll hear from uh, Vic Fangio the day after the Broncos fell to the Pittsburgh Steelers 26-21. to We'll uh, hear from Vic Fangio there and uh, his day after press conference. Eric, it, it's strange. Uh, it seemed like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong against the Steelers. But at the end, they still had a chance to win the game. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it was similar to the Titans game in that regard, right? Like you made a lot of mistakes, a lot of critical mistakes, and whether it was luck or whatever, the other team also made some bad plays and you were right there to win it, but still on the wrong side of 0-2 now. Exactly, and I think the the big story coming out of this game is on the injury front. On Monday we found out that Cortland Sutton tore his ACL and I think it's MCL, too, uh, according to reports. Uh, Vic Danger didn't quite clarify that, but he is out for the season. And then uh, Drew Locke commits, uh, I think the way that Fangio put it, four or five or six, or what did he say, three or four or five game, weeks. Yep, the latter there. Yeah, so, uh, so probably I would think – uh, based off of what Drew Locke was saying after the game, saying that they want to be a little bit more precautious because it's his throwing arm. I would personally would say, let's uh, go ahead and make sure he's 100% before coming back. Yeah, just based on everything you said about Drew Locke coming into the season, him being the guy that you think is your franchise quarterback, there's no reason to rush him back and potentially make this worse or have him play – when he's not 100% and you don't get a real evaluation on him because, uh, Phil, we might get to this later, but this the rest of this year in some ways becomes critical to evaluating Drew Locke for the future. Um, so really, to me, anything before the bye week would be a bonus. And uh, to get the exact details of what happened to Drew Locke on that play where Bud Dupree seemingly crushed him on top of him, uh, here's what Vic Fangio had to say on Monday. Yeah, I don't think there's nothing uh, structurally wrong with his shoulder. He just got a bad bruise there, you know, and when it's your throwing shoulder, you know, it's going to take time to heal. It's It's got to calm down, get his strength back to where he fully has it and he can operate at 100%. So a bad bruise on his shoulder there, nothing structurally wrong with it, but uh, it doesn't just need to heal like you heard from Fangio there, it also needs to get back to full strength. Yeah, I mean, you can't put Drew Locke out there and ask him to throw a comeback route to the sideline or a deep pass if he doesn't have the full range of, of motion, full strength. 
and you've got to put him out there too, where he can protect himself. And part of the way you protect yourself is by making those throws. Um, like I said, Phil, you've got the Buccaneers this week, the Jets, uh, New England, Miami, Kansas City. So you've got five games left here before the bye week in week eight. And that kind of matches up with what Vic Fangio is talking about from a three to five week schedule. So maybe he's back in, in three weeks, which would be that, uh, that would be the Miami game, I believe. Um, but, you know, if he's back at all before the bye week, I would be a little bit surprised. Yeah, so would I. I mean, I think it just makes a lot of sense to give him that extra week against the bye, you know, with the bye week there and then have him return after that. But, you know, uh, all things considered, Eric, Jeff Driscoll stepped in there and played admirably and uh, almost led this Broncos team to a comeback victory. I mean, he threw two touchdowns. The interception that he threw wasn't his fault, and that ended up being the play that Corlin Sutton got hurt on. Yeah, man, you think about these injuries, and it's a kind of a sad state when we're when I think to myself, man, Philip Lindsay's only out for a couple of weeks. That's great news. Or Drew Locke's only out for three to five weeks. That's that's tremendous. I mean, that's just kind of where we are right now. But you, you think both of those injuries to your key guys in Locke and Sutton are avoidable. Drew, in that if a couple of blocks aren't missed or he's able to get the ball out on time, he doesn't get crushed by Dupree. And then if Cortland Sutton's able to squeeze the ball there and – Granted, Phil, that's a tough play for somebody who's got a sprained AC joint who's going up above his head to make the play. I mean, I'm sure that's painful. But if he catches that pass, he doesn't then have to chase down Joe Hayden and he doesn't tear his ACL. Yeah, and, you know, if you really think about it, uh, Eric, all offseason long we talked about his chemistry with Drew Locke, what he was going to be able to do, the two of them together, uh, following up that big Pro Bowl season a year ago they only got to play two series together. Yeah, it's disappointing. And I feel bad for Cortland because, you know, he would have been eligible to be extended at the end of this season. He had a tremendous year last year, I think was poised for an even better one this year. Uh, You know, who knows what the Broncos decide to do from that standpoint, but he's going to be going into a a prove it year in year four, much like Bradley Chubb is in right now. And Vic Fangio talked a lot about, rallying around uh, some of the younger guys, but you just got to admit that this stinks for guys like Cortland Sutton and Vaughn Miller, AJ Boye, who's out for a significant amount of time. I mean, Phil, I think when you watch on TV, it's easy to think of these guys as just like action figures, or you're like, why didn't you make that catch or that throw should be easy to make, but being around them, Phil, and granted we're not around them as much this year, but like we've, we've gotten to know a guy like Cortland Sutton over the last few years. And so to see somebody like him uh, suffer an injury, I mean, that's just, it's disappointing. And you feel for them as a person, not just as the football player. Yeah, of course. I mean, you feel terrible for the guy. I mean, uh, Cortland, just with that AC joint in his shoulder, had been in the training room every day, trying to get back as soon as possible. And uh it just, uh, you know, he came back and then, boom, now the season's over. I mean, it's it's really uh, terrible. Uh, you feel for the guy. Uh, here's what uh, Vic Fangio had to say on Monday about the mounting injuries for this Broncos team. Well, I'm disappointed for the players that have gotten uh, injured, you know. Uh, it's never good to get injured on an individual, personal basis. Yeah, it does have a uh, negative effect on the team. You know, I'm not going to insult anybody's intelligence that 
losing the type of players and the amount of players that we've lost doesn't have some type of effect. But we do have good players here in the building still. They're going to come and rally, look at it as an opportunity for them to go out and play good and show what they got. And we're going to get them ready as a coaching staff to go out there and compete and try and find a way to win these close games. I appreciate uh, Vic not insulting your intelligence, Eric. Uh, That was nice. Me too. I appreciate that. But that is going to be his primary job this week is motivating these guys and saying, look, a lot of our top players, a lot of our starters are injured, but we still got to go out there and we still have to try and compete as as hard as we can because, you know, we're only two games down in a 16-game season. Yeah, and while these injuries hurt and, you know, going through them one by one, Von Miller has been difficult to deal with because the Broncos pass rush was somewhat non-existent, I thought, on uh, Sunday against the Steelers. You know, they did get one sack, but a lot of the time Roethlisberger just had all day to throw. A.J. Boye's injury was highlighted because Michael Ojemudia got picked on a little bit. Um, Cortland Sutton, of course, you missed just as another option. I thought there that K.J. Hamler and Jerry Judy were really impressive. I think they had a combined seven catches for 110 yards. But And then the franchise quarterback, Phil. I mean, that's difficult to get past just because Drew Locke makes plays that – you know, you'd expect from a guy that you want to lead your team moving forward. And that's not a knock on Jeff Driscoll, but Drew is a different type of athlete, I think. Um, but, hey, Driscoll was better in the second half. He uh, had a passer rating above 100, didn't throw a pick in the second half, took two sacks, and especially that fourth down one to end the game was a bad one. But uh, he showed enough that I think Vic Fangio's message is, hey, we moved the ball against a really good Steelers defense. We outscored him 11 to nothing in the – uh, third quarter and outscored them for the game with the exception of that seven, nothing first quarter, we can be competitive at home against a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We outscored them, but we lost. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is we, we came back after a bad first quarter, uh, which had a bad sequence of events that Vicks harped on, but they were, they were competitive with a backup quarterback. It's not like they were, it's not like 14 points were scored with Drew Locke. All of those points were scored with Jeff Driscoll as the quarterback. And so I think you look at it and you say, hey, once Driscoll got things going and got comfortable, we were right in this football game and our defense stepped up and played complimentary. And, you know, I don't know this, Phil, but I would think if that game goes on another quarter, the Broncos come back and win. Eric, do you think that third and two there at the end, they should have ran the ball maybe one of those plays? especially considering the Steelers' pass rush. Yeah, but, I mean, the Steelers, I'm sure, are expecting run to some degree, you know, because on the previous – it wasn't the the set of downs before, but the one before that, they picked up a QB sneak – or they, used a, they picked up a third and one using a QB sneak. Uh, and while the run was effective at times – it was some of these longer developing plays. It wasn't like runs right up the gut. The, the run defense was generally pretty good. And Phil, that fourth down play, the, the third down one was just busted. You know, it looked like um, a couple guys ran into each other. I think it was Deshaun Hamilton and KJ Hamler who were right on top of each other. But that fourth down play, Melvin Gordon's wide open. Deshaun Hamilton is wide open. Looked like Tim Patrick was wide open. And if you just recognize a hot route, which – 
I don't want to put all the blame on Jeff Driscoll, but if you just say, this guy's coming, I've got a wide open throw to Melvin Gordon, you convert that and maybe you score. You still got a minute and 45 seconds. So the, the play call wasn't an issue for me this week. You know, last week, Phil, we talked about that. You had first and goal on the two yard line and you don't score. That's when I had a little bit of an issue, but this week you just didn't execute. Yeah. And you just, you know, there was a two minute warning there when before that third and two play, maybe some of that momentum the Broncos had going there gets a little disrupted by the timeout. And then Pittsburgh has a chance to reset. And obviously they were getting to the quarterback at will, Eric, 19 quarterback hits, seven sacks, I mean, obviously not all of that is on the offensive line, but, you know, when your quarterback's just getting beat up like that, you know, maybe uh, you got to change some things here, especially heading into uh, into a game where you're going to face the uh, the sack artist known as Shaq Barrett. You're a big fan of Shaq Barrett. <laughs> I know that. And Phil, here's here's what I would say about that is that in terms of the momentum, it's not like the – on any of those drives that it was 10 yard completion, 15 yard completion, 20 yard completion. It was like two yards minus three yards, big play. And then like incompletion minus two yards, big play or pass interference call on that last drive. If you don't get the, uh, you know, a, a pass interference call against Tim Patrick, if you don't get an, a highlight catch by Noah Fant, you're not in that position to begin with. And I think that's the Broncos are just going to kind of have to live with that with your backup quarterback, that the odds of you having positive play after positive play after positive play aren't super great. You're going to have to hit some of these bigger chunk plays and, and that's how you're going to have to score because I, I think defenses are too good in the NFL to expect Driscoll to go five yards, six yards, 10 yards, eight yards. I mean, that just doesn't seem as realistic to me. But, I mean, he was moving the ball well, though. I mean, he had good chemistry going with Noah Fant. Uh, Melvin Gordon was running the ball well. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, he got bailed out a little bit there by, uh, you know, a, a few penalties and stuff. But it did seem like they were having success on offense. Granted, some chunk yards there, but also, you know, they were mo- they, they got the ball with six minutes to go at their own 18 and they, dra- they drove all the way to the Pittsburgh 15 over the course of four minutes. So, like, you know, they were moving the ball well and had a nice drive going there with a chance to win the game. But, Eric, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about were some of these sequences where the Broncos, for whatever reason, lack of focus, you know, not understanding where, the, where they are on the field, the scenario in the game, Sometimes there's just a series of plays here and there that end up costing them big time. You know, uh, today on Monday, Fangio mentioned, look, the Broncos are in field goal range. Locke fumbles a ball, gets hurt. Ojemudia has a chance to make an interception, doesn't make the play, and the Steelers score a touchdown. That's a 10-point swing in, you know, course of a a couple of minutes there in gameplay. Yeah, and it's not just that. To me, it's not just the bad plays. It's that it negates some of these good plays. Like you think, uh, you know, Cortland Sutton makes his 45-yard catch, and then you, you take a sack. Or you move the ball all the way down to the four-yard line there in the third quarter. Uh, 
I think it was the third quarter, two after the Simmons interception, and you take a sack on first down, and all of a sudden, instead of having three shots from the four-yard line, it's second and ten. You know, and those are the things that if this team were just – say this team were just not good. This team just couldn't move the ball. This team on defense gave up a ton of plays. Then to some degree, you just accept some of this. But to me, you can see the talent. You can see where it's coming together 50% of the time, 60% of the time, 70% of the time. But then there's, like you mentioned, there's just these plays that it's like pulling a string and it unravels to some extent. And Phil, we've talked for a long time about the margin for error for teams in the NFL. And I do think the Broncos margin for error is bigger than it has been because if you score there at the end of the game, that Ojemudia dropped interception doesn't matter. The field goal situation doesn't matter. Uh, Some of these sacks don't matter, but still those come back to bite you when you can't convert that fourth into. Yeah. And you know, like even the, uh, the play on special teams against the Steelers, you know, so many mistakes, the missed field goal by McManus, uh, bringing it out of the end zone a couple of times on kick returns when they shouldn't have. Uh, Obviously they gave up a punt return for a touchdown that got called back to a block in the back, but they still gave it up. And then the big one to me, the Sam Martin safety where he can't catch a snap. You know, if, if the Broncos had those two points back, at the end there, instead of going for it on fourth down, they just kicked the field goal, and maybe you're going to overtime if the defense gets a stop. So, you know, these little plays make a big difference over the course of 60 minutes, you know. Right, and you don't, you don't know right away which one's going to be that difference because K.J. Hamler chooses to take it out of the end zone there and return the kick. And that's why Sam Martin is punting out of his own end zone. If he's not punting out of his own end zone, he's probably not worried about the punt being blocked and he probably gets it off. And, you know, who knows how the Steelers change things if they've, if their lead is uh, 10 instead of 12 there. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the game, you're down five instead of three. And all of a sudden you've got to make a crazy play instead of kicking a field goal. And that's why you lose there in regulation. Yeah, just a lot of little things that added up to a Broncos loss. The Broncos now 0-2, and Eric, we uh, we know what that means in terms of uh, trying to make the playoffs, but can't think about it that way, can't look back to last year and say, oh, this feels a lot like that. You just got to keep taking it uh, one week at a time. And the the fact of the matter is the Broncos now have Jeff Driscoll at quarterback, and they'll have to move forward and get ready for this week. Uh, on Monday, Fangio was asked, hey, how much is the offense going to change now that Driscoll is a quarterback instead of Drew Locke? I don't think it will change significantly. We just may lean on some other stuff in our package that uh, we haven't been calling as much with Drew in there. So, But I don't think it, it's a wholesale change in the offense. It might look different to others, but it's stuff we've been practicing and have had in that maybe we'll lean on a little bit more with uh, Jeff in there. So what do you think about that, Eric, not changing up the uh, the playbook too much? It seemed like Driscoll, you know, based off of what we've seen in Cincinnati and Detroit, is a pretty mobile quarterback. He can get out of the pocket. He can run around. And, you know, I think when you're trying to look for a backup quarterback like the Broncos were this offseason, you want someone who 
is fairly similar to your starter. Yeah, I think with Driscoll, the difference, though, is that when Drew gets out of the pocket and throws the ball, I think he's pretty accurate. You know, I think, like, you look at that Noah Fant touchdown in week one, I think that's a, a strong suit of his game is throwing well on the run. And while I think Driscoll showed at times he could escape, his best throws came when he was in the pocket and his feet were set. And so I would try to give him some more of those plays where they're quick throws. You know, you're not taking these five or seven step drops, just a quick drop. Maybe you're running out of the gun. Uh, Get it to some of these guys like KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy, who I thought were really impressive and let them make plays, especially Judy. He, whenever he gets the ball, Phil, even if it's on a five-yard play, he's a threat to take it 15 to 20, and that's obviously helpful. Um, that's if he catches the ball, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> Brutal. Um, but Driscoll's um, awareness, obviously, has to get a little bit better in the pocket. I think that'll be better against a Buccaneers team that's not quite as uh, scary up front as the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, but, you know, I just think it speaks volumes that he improved as the game went on. And if he was, say he was 50% the whole game and threw two picks and no touchdowns and, and took four sacks in each half, I think you'd say this has a, a chance of being bad. But because he showed improvement, to me that means with a full week of practice reps and a game plan designed around him, maybe you have a chance here to surprise some people and, uh, we'll see what happens in week three, but the Panthers stuck around with the Buccaneers for a long time in that game. Yeah. I mean, and uh, maybe Tom Brady isn't quite Tom Brady just yet. Uh, so the defense can uh, keep the Broncos involved in this one, but yeah, you know, the Broncos situation at quarterback heading into this one, Driscoll, obviously a starter. And then the backup Brett Rippon going to be brought up from the practice squad because Fangio said, Due to COVID protocols, even if the Broncos were to agree to bring somebody in on Monday, they wouldn't even be in practice until Friday or Saturday, not in meetings, that kind of stuff, until the day before the game. So sort of an unrealistic situation there, but uh, maybe they do go out and look to bring somebody in for down the road, you know, maybe not this week, but maybe for that Jets game, something like that. But yeah, you know, I... I think that, uh, you know, uh, like you mentioned, Driscoll, he didn't take any practice snaps really last week, you know, because Drew, Drew, a young quarterback, learning a new offense, he's taking almost all the reps in practice. So for Jeff to come in and do that, I thought it was impressive. Yeah, and they'll need to rely on the running game again. I thought Melvin Gordon was pretty good. Uh, Especially seven, running to the left. Yeah. You have 70 yards on 19 carries. Then he had that play out of the backfield uh, for the touchdown. So rely on Melvin Gordon when you can. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Driscoll's going to have to make some throws. That's that's clear. And we'll see how the Broncos' defense holds up against a really good Buccaneers offense, at least on paper. But, yeah, I think Driscoll is, is serviceable enough to win you. What you want from a backup quarterback, Phil, is not to go – 12 and four or 13 and three. I mean, or maybe that's what you want, but you don't expect that. If he could get the Broncos a couple wins here, then at least you stay uh, within the realm of possibility of getting Drew Locke back after the bye and, and making a little run against some teams like the Falcons and Chargers and, and Raiders 
Um, and you'd like to think he can beat a team like the Jets in a couple weeks. You'd like to think he could beat a Dolphins team at home. And then, you know, can you steal one against the Buccaneers or the Patriots? I mean, I don't want to ever chalk a loss up guaranteed, Phil, but I think a week seven game against the Chiefs is going to be a, a tall ask. Yeah, I think that that's the idea is that you can still stay relevant in the standings for when Drew does come back. So, yeah, maybe a couple wins here or there. Uh, and just I mean, stay in the mix. Yeah, I mean, say say you just win against the Jets and the Dolphins, which is, I would think the worst case scenario would be just beating the Jets. But I think the um, Dolphins are pretty good. They hung yeah, tough with the Bills and yeah. But but say you're able to beat those two teams, and you and you're not quite able to beat the Buccaneers or the or the Patriots, and you go into the bye at two and five, you know you do have a chance there after the bye if Drew is healthy and ready to go, and say Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler are now more comfortable, and Noah Fant remains um, as good as he's looked, which has been really impressive, then you do have a chance to go on a little run and get close to five hundred, and then you just kind of see what happens as the season goes on because while the schedule is not easy after the bye, Phil, it does open up a little bit with going to Kansas city and playing new Orleans as really the toughest games there. But I mean, this, this stretch is a little bit brutal currently. And we knew that the start of the season was going to be tough. Um, you know, one thing, Eric, you just mentioned Noah Fant there. Sometimes when I watch other teams like their star players are constantly getting targeted. You know, like when you watch the Chiefs, it seems like almost every other throw is either going to Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. Or, you know, just when you watch these other teams, their stars are always around the ball. But sometimes with the Broncos, like Noah Fant will just go an entire half without getting targeted. Yeah. That's something that, in my opinion, can improve. Definitely. It's a small sample size, right? Because it's been two games and for whatever reason it has happened in both of those two games. But but, um, I'm not super worried about it just because I think that some of that is by chance at the beginning of this game in the first half. I'm sure part of it is you're figuring out what the heck do we do here that works with Jeff Driscoll? Um, How do we make some things happen? And Noah said after the game that he had to go back and look and see if he was doing something that led him not to be targeted but you know they're targeting Jerry Judy a lot which I like I mean he's got the talent and he needs to increase the focus I think a little bit on some of these catches but he had four catches for 62 yards Hamler had three catches for 48 yards and part of it is what does a defense give you part of it is what you what's your plan of attack that week I mean if I were the Buccaneers this week I would say we're going to stop Noah Fant first and foremost and then we're going to see if, you know, if Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler beat us, we'll live with that. But Noah Fant is the best player on this offense now, and we're going to attack it that way. Yeah, I mean, no doubt now, you know, when you look at this Broncos offense, take away the run, say Jeff Driscoll is going to have to beat us now, and then take away Fant, and it's going to be up to guys like Judy, Hamler, who Fangio said he was really excited about. And Tim Patrick. I mean, those guys are going to have to make plays. Uh, Gordon's going to have to make plays in the passing game. You know, that's just a fact of the matter. And maybe you steal a game here or there and and you stay in the mix. So 
One other player I wanted to talk about here, Eric, and that's Michael Ojemudia. Obviously, uh, Big Ben was picking on him a little bit, expected that a veteran, future Hall of Fame-type quarterback is going to be able to identify the rookie on the other side, and that's certainly what happened on Sunday. Here's what uh, Vic had to say about Ojemudia's performance. Well, he struggled. He had, he had a tough day, like uh, a lot of young corners have, and but I'm confident Michael will come back and, um, and learn from this, and it will be uh, hopefully a game that he looks back on in his long, successful career that he learned a lot from and, and grew from. And, Eric, the one thing I'll say there is that I was really impressed by his body language. He, he never got up even after giving up a huge touchdown there. He didn't say – he didn't sulk. He just got back up and even met the media after the game, which I thought was really impressive and – you know, talked about his mentality. He said, I got to do better and I'm going to do better. And I like that, especially from a, a rookie who just had a game like that. Did he throw his arms up and look at the safety to wonder uh, if it was somebody else's fault? Who would have done something like that? Uh, uh, unsure, but Michael Ojemudia did not do that, which I thought was a promising sign. And Phil, I know people are going to focus on the 84-yard touchdown and the one he gave up later, and for good reason. I mean, especially on the 84-yarder, he got toasted a little bit. I think he would admit that. Um, but I've been more encouraged by his play than I have been in the last few years with the Broncos looking for a young cornerback. And, you know, that's a group of guys that includes Brendan Langley and Isaac Yadam. Um, but Ojemudia clearly in position to make plays. I mean, he had the interception bounce off his hands, but was there to make the play in week one. He does get an interception that's called back and was in position to make that play. And then really on the second touchdown, he gave up just a tough play because it it went on so long. And Roethlisberger had five or six seconds to throw the ball. And even then Ojemudia was right there. It looked like he kind of flashed his hand to try to break up the pass and was in good coverage. And the receiver just made a better play. Um, but he was physical against the run. He ma- came up and made some good tackles on Juju Smith-Schuster, especially uh, I think the Steelers' first drive of the game. He came up and stopped him short of the first down marker. And some encouraging signs, I think, for a young cornerback is that it's not just him getting beat on every play. Um, but I feel he's going to be tested again this week because he could be the guy on Mike Evans. Yeah, Chris Godwin, I think, is out of the concussion protocol and is uh, going to play this week. So, um, I think, isn't Godwin a uh, smaller guy than Evans? He is, but, I mean, a, ta- a talented, speedy wide receiver that can burn you deep. So, you might see try and get Callahan on him, but you know that Tom Brady, who a lot of people uh, refer to as the greatest quarterback of all time, at least mentally, will be able to identify mismatches out there. You know, he might not be in full sync with his new team and everything there, but uh, you know that he's going to be able to find guys. Had a lot of drop passes last week. I think he had two touchdowns that were just drops. So uh, I know that. Exactly, exactly. Bruce Arians uh, was not too pleased today on Monday. Uh, about his wide receivers dropping some of those passes. 
I'm a big Bruce Arians fan, but uh, I know you are. That's because of his indie days. Easier to be upset after a win than after a loss, I think. You know, Arians is the kind of guy, you know, wearing that hat, and I think that he likes to have a bourbon after the game. Just uh, my kind of guy, Eric. You like that type of hat? Uh, I personally wouldn't wear a hat like that because I know my limitations. Mm. That's not something that I could wear, but he definitely can. I think I'm probably about 10 years away from wearing that type of hat. Oh, really? You think you could do it, huh? Yeah, a little driving cap. One of the things I'll say is that you just got to commit to that look. Like you can't just like once in a while go to that. That's got to be your look permanently. That's true. I don't know if I'm there yet. Yeah, that's a major commitment. Yeah, you cover this team long enough, though, you get there. That is true. Yeah, start drinking Mountain Dews. And you're one step away from that hat. Eric, are you there? Uh, this is a podcast, so nobody can see uh, that you're laughing. But uh, that is, I think that uh, Arians skips the uh, Mountain Dew and goes straight to the bourbon. I don't think that's a sponsor anyway. That's true. Maybe he hits that Gold Rock Coffee. West Rock. West Rock Coffee. Sorry, West Rock Coffee, gold packaging with the elephant on the front. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah. Also, not a sponsor, but we love them. Um, you're not a sponsor of this podcast, but it is served in the press box at Empower Field at Mile High. Empower yeah. sponsor. Empower sponsor. Yeah, King Supers is where you can find that. Why are we talking about Bruzarian still? Uh, well, we were talking about it because uh, he was upset about his wide receivers uh, dropping sequences. Back. Sequences, exactly. Yeah. But, it's like we'll do a podcast that's pretty good, but then we get to one of these sequences and it's just right off bad. the rails. Yeah. But when you uh, do it at the end of a podcast, unlike in a football game, mm. it's okay. Oh, it's better. Got it. Yeah. Uh, also, listening while you're driving home, maybe, or maybe you're working out right now, making dinner, or whatever, let us know what you think about the improved audio quality. Do you notice a difference? Because we've gone to great lengths to make sure that you can hear the richness of our voices. The takes. We want you to hear the takes. We've minimized the plosives. Yeah. I don't know what that means. That's the the P's, you know, the B's, the the pops. We've minimized those with this uh, new equipment that we've got. So... Let us know. Uh, go on Go on to uh, Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. You know, maybe leave a little review. Subscribe, of course. Maybe hit us up on Twitter. Eric, how would somebody do that? Uh, you could tweet at you at Phil Milani, P-H. It's kind of strange. Phil Milani. And then uh, me at Eric Delala. That's with an A, of course, because that's how you spell that name. Uh, Rick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know on Twitter. Just tell us, hey, I just thought that you sounded really nice. And, uh, you know, maybe listen you want to. Twice. Yeah, you listen to it twice. Maybe, you know, 
replayed it once you got home and had a bourbon. It was like you were having a bourbon with us. And Bruce. I was wondering what you were drinking over there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Eric, you know, it's, uh, it's tough times if you're a Denver sports fan these days. Yeah. Anthony Davis breaking hearts. You know, that was just uh, – after that happened, I was like, okay, I need to go to sleep now. Yeah. I, I just shut this thing down. But then, of course, I switched to Sunday Night Football and saw Cam doing Cam things. Yeah, that New England game looks a little scarier now, huh? Yeah, they played very well. Uh, one play away from uh, going on the road and beating the Seahawks. So, Yeah. I don't know how much I buy this going on the road thing these days with no fans. I, I, exactly. It's not like normal Seattle game, but I will say New England f- flew across the whole country and played. So that's what I'll say about that. Obviously, a much different experience there at uh, the Clink without the fans. Yeah, I've only been there once, so. That place gets rocking. I'll tell you what. So, I think Denver might go there next year, I believe. Uh, the NFC. Actually. What? Yeah, I think that you're That might be 2022. I'll have to check. Last year, they played the North. In 18, they opened up against the Seahawks. Yeah, that's. Yeah. So not next. Uh, 2022, they'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Next season, though, a trip to Dallas could be exciting. That but is we've, we've still got 14 games to go, Phil. Yeah, that's true. Let's focus on that, huh? Yeah. All right, Eric. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for our day after uh, debriefing. Uh, just a sad time, disappointing time with uh, all the injuries. But you know what? There's a long season ahead. You can't get down about this. You got to stay positive. Got to capture some momentum here. Maybe you go on a run. Maybe you make some great plays. Still a lot of talent, like Fangio said, and uh, you never know what could happen in the NFL. So, yep. And with three wild card spots, Phil, and uh, you know, there's only two games. You're not you're not out of it yet by any means. Just gotta gotta steal a win here or there, and hope you're still in contention when your franchise quarterback comes back and. I think overall, just I'm impressed by the way the guys fought because it would have been really easy to lose that game, thirty to three, after losing Drew Locke there and, and Sutton going out early, and they brought it right to the end. Eric, there's a large contingent of fans out there that are now saying just tank for Trevor Lawrence. What do you say to them? <laughs> if if Drew Locke were out for the season. That would be one thing, you know, just because I think you're still going to compete at all times, but it would have been very interesting. You know, what do you do if you, if you were two and 14 or three and 13 and you have that choice in front of you, but with Drew coming back, you've got to hope that he can show you over the final eight or nine games of the year that he's the guy. Um, You hope you're still in competitive games and a competitive season where it matters because that's the one thing, Phil, is that we didn't really see last year Drew Locke in games that mattered because the Broncos were already essentially eliminated from playoff contention. And so I'm hopeful you can just see how does he handle those big moments and, you know, can he prove that he's the guy so that you're 
you're not still wondering a little bit, but he's got to stay healthy. And uh, before he can stay healthy, he's got to get healthy. See, I like to just stay healthy if it's possible. Yeah, that's true. That's why you avoid the riffraff. You know, Eric, sorry, we were wrapping this thing up, but I, you just mentioned something, so it came to my mind here. But do you think that Drew needs to change the way that he plays? Um, I think Drew needs to be more aware of his own limitations and the speed and power of guys in the NFL. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with rolling out and trying to make a play Um, it worked out in week one against the Titans. We've seen him scramble for first downs. That's worked before. But you need to realize when Bud Dupree, who's 270 pounds, is screaming at you, that you've got to get rid of the ball and and live to fight another day because this team is much better with you on the field than they are with you off of it. And you've got to understand that not only do you have a responsibility to make plays, you've got a responsibility to be out there for your team. And if you're getting – decked by guys this size, it's not going to happen. I mean, Peyton and Tom Brady are two of the greatest in part because they've always been available and they've avoided those hits. And Peyton got a hard time at times because he would, you know, those self sacks, but it worked, it kept him healthy and threw a lot of touchdowns as well. In addition to those self sacks. So yeah, does, does Drew need to have wholesale changes? No, but just be more aware and realize that if you're in, if it's the first quarter of a week two game and you're flushed out of the pocket, throw the ball away and live to play another down, another series. And and you can't risk that um, for yourself and for the team. Eric, you know, one of my favorite sayings is uh, what's the best kind of ability availability. I like to say that a lot. And uh, you know, he kind of stumbled on that play, so maybe he was going to try and get rid of the ball. You know, who knows what he was going to do, but then he got crushed. But uh, or even earlier in the game, he rolled out, avoided two potential sacks, and then threw the ball away. But, you know, he, was, like he just, wasn't even trying to throw the ball away. He was trying to get it to Annette deep down the field. I mean, he was still trying to make a play, which I love, but you've got to realize that that one 10 yard completion is not worth six weeks now or however long it ends up being. Exactly. And, you know, even I was talking to John Elway for Elway access last week and he just said, look, this might be some tough times here or there, but at least Drew's getting experience. He only started five games a year ago, but now at least he's going to get some reps under his belt. Well, when you miss six weeks, you can't do that. You can't get better. You can't improve. He's a young quarterback that needs to play. So, Right. And you think, like, hey, by week eight or week nine, he's probably really finding his groove in Pat Shermer's offense. That's when we saw Daniel Jones take a leap last year in that offense. And now you've got to hope that he's able to do some of that from afar. But he's missing, what, say there's – say you get 60 to 70 plays and he misses – five weeks uh, or something like that. It's 350, 400 plays you're going to miss that he, you just can't get back. And so instead of being at week nine and being at your best, he's going to be at week nine still adjusting to this system. And that to me is part of the concern of, we talked earlier, Phil, about, hey, can you get to the buy at two and five or three and four and somehow stay in this? Well, even if Drew comes back, he's going to be 
still figuring out this offensive system because he he'll have missed all those games. And so that to me is part of the concern in addition to um, in, in everything else. I said this in our post game show yesterday, Eric, but the injury looked very similar to when he injured his thumb in the preseason against the 49ers a year ago, ended up missing valuable practice time last year, miss all those weeks until he was uh, able to come back. Uh, what was that the week of the Vikings game? I think he started, you know, kind of practicing only then. So he's just gotta, he's just gotta figure out how to stay healthy out there. And, you know, he called them, I think he called them awkward or kind of like weird types of plays, but you know, that kind of, those kind of things tend to happen when a quarterback rolls outside of the pocket bad things start to – a lot of great things can happen, but bad things also happen. Because while Drew might be athletic, he's not athletic compared to Bud Dupree. So – That's true. You know, well, I think it's more just in college you can make those four- or five-second plays into eight- or nine-, ten-second plays where you're just doing all sorts of crazy stuff and running around. And there's a couple guys that can do that at this level. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson – yeah, but, but even those guys, they tend to get out and they don't take big shots, usually. You know, yeah. if it's a playoffs and Patrick Mahomes is running around, that's one thing. But, like, yesterday against the Chargers, you know, Mahomes was running out of bounds or sliding or, you know, he knew where the first down markers were, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, part of being a franchise quarterback is that it's not just about how many touchdowns you throw or how many completions you have. You have to feel a sense of responsibility – to your entire team to be out there. And so if that means adjusting his playing style or adjusting on certain plays, and he did kind of admit that he would look at, you know, are there certain plays where I can, I think he said, I'll take a look at what's realistic for me to escape from or to, to make a play during. And so that's the right attitude. We'll see hopefully soon, Phil, how that uh, translates to the field. Eric, because like with Sutton now for the season, you could have leaned on the fact that, hey, at least Drew Locke is still here. At least he provides that leadership. And, hey, he's still going to get the ball in these guys' hands. And you know, all right, it's going to be tough without Sutton. But, you know, we got that leadership. Now that's out the window too. So, you know, especially in this moment, really could have used that. But, hey, uh, maybe this is a learning moment and – you know, the same way that he'll learn maybe how to recognize a certain blitz or, you know, a defensive package. This is part of that learning process too. So. All right, Eric, sorry. I meant to wrap things up a little while ago, but I felt like that was uh, some good worthwhile conversation there. We'll be back uh, later in the week to look ahead to this Buccaneers game, break down Tom Brady a little bit and what to expect from that Buccaneers defense that, Hey, uh, what was we know Devin Bush with the Steelers, but they're going to face a different Devin who went uh, a few picks ahead of him in the same draft. So this week with the Buccaneers, and Devin White owns a horse too. That's true. So hopefully he doesn't own the Broncos. That's you like that? That was good. Thank you. That was good. Nice little tie in there. Maybe we'll find that popping up in one of your stories this week or something. Probably not. I like to leave that sort of uh, children's play for <laughs> the podcast. Your written stories are for a much more sophisticated 
audience. Exactly. Yeah. They're sipping on some Merlot, kicking back next to the fireplace. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Did you see uh, Cliff Kingsbury set up during the NFL draft? That's he was reading one of your stories, I think. Yeah. That's kind of what I imagine. Yeah. He was like, what are the Broncos up to tonight? And then he was. Yeah. Yeah. If you zoom in on his computer or his phone or whatever was there. They're doing well there in Arizona. Friend of the podcast, Rob Grosso. That's true. Kyler Murray, uh, another second-year quarterback, seems to uh, – sometimes when I see other quarterbacks, it looks like they're playing a different sport. Kyler Murray's one of those guys. Baseball, I think. It's weird that Kyler Murray and Tom Brady play the same position at the same level. That's true. Two completely different kind of players – same position, same level. Very interesting. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll be back later in the week. Until then, for Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Milani, and you've been listening to The, the Neutral, Neutral Zone. Zone.